Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Today we have a discussion, another discussion about worship music, church music, God music, whatever kind of music you want to call it. So someone posted a song that they were singing at church and we've been interacting with it in the Facebook group. It's called Fierce by a group called Jesus Culture. So Greg wrote a blog post on this. I had a reply or two. And I've been thinking about this some more. And I'm wanting to start by putting this in the category of, and I've raised this several times before, but I'm raising it again, which is, how do you know when you've gone too far? How do you know when you, we, me, when we're being too critical and ticky-tack and making a bigger deal out of something than you need to? That's that's what that's how you want to start off. What we'll, okay? Because you think we are, or we might be. Maybe. Okay. Okay. So I was digging into this last night. So the 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 some what of the point of contention is that this song describes God's love like a hurricane. Well, one of the lines is like a hurricane that it can't escape, tearing through the <laughs> atmosphere. Your love is fierce. Right. And so my initial reaction was, hmm, I don't know. This sounds like kind of an overstated song about God to evoke, I don't know, wonder, security, I don't know, different feelings about God. Right. Then I thought about it more because, you know, the question that was originally raised around this is if, you know, if we if we loved our spouses or other people around us in the same way, there'd probably be some problems. <laughs> <laughs> Which prompted the thought for me of like a restraining order. <laughs> so, you know, I like that. Well, you mean well, you know, it's like go this, into that. Well, it's like <laughs> I, I, I we probably end up titling this episode "God Needs a Restraining Order," um, but because <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if someone was that so fierce, so, so I guess where I went with this too was I looked up the definition of fierce, and Google has a couple definitions, and so does uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. So Google kind of breaks it down into a few different ways: uh, having or displaying an intense or ferocious aggressiveness. Synonyms: ferocious, savage, vicious, aggressive. Hmm. Um, and then relating to emotion, showing a heartfelt and powerful intensity. Mm, that one might match. Mm-hmm. And then uh, synonyms here, aggressive, cutthroat. Oh, that wouldn't match, I don't think. Competitive, that seems strange. And then a third possibility they have here is the weather, which ties into this hurricane, like a hurricane that I can't escape. Mm-hmm. Um, powerful and destructive in extent or intensity. Synonyms mm. here being powerful, strong, violent, forceful, stormy, blustery, gusty, temptuous. Are you say how do you say that one? Temp- 
tempestuous. Tempestuous. <laughs> so I don't know. Like this is kind of interesting, you know. So is that what? So on the one hand, yeah, I would. I would in my past would hear a song like this and be moved by it and think, "Oh yeah, this is this is just a reminder of of how powerful and how strong God is, and that's a good thing." Okay. But if I take a huge step back where I am today, I look at this and it's like, <laughs> "Would you describe anyone? Would would anyone want to have a relationship with someone like that <laughs> in real life?" Yeah. And if so. <laughs> Why is it a good thing that God relates to us this way? And does he really? (laughs) And then to take it like three levels deeper, you know, does it matter if we're singing songs like this and carrying things around like this in our head? I mean, it's just a catchy song that makes us feel good. Um, <laughs> I made a private confession in the Facebook group that I occasionally listen to Air One, <laughs> the, the positive alternative. It's like a Christian pop station. It's on the radio here in Portland, and sometimes okay. when I'm in the car, I just it, I, I I don't know. I just end up tuning into it, and I feel positive. Okay, <laughs> which you know you can feel just as positive and happy listening to some trashy, you know boy band bebop song so Mm -hmm. anyway i don't know how many more things i can throw out here before i let you talk but i think i'll stop there (laughs) you're hilarious well i I really like what you said i mean i i liked it in the sense of i thought it was really insightful and accurate you know this idea that if someone was was actually engaging with me this way if someone was you know like a hurricane all over me um, I that might you want can't a restraining escape. order. Yeah, that, that I mean, that's where the the idea of a restraining order comes in. Like, yeah, this you're just completely smothered. You yeah. can't get away. You're trapped. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I mean, a, a couple of different thoughts occurred to me. Again, my first when I fired back to you on that one was, yeah, and like, what is an example of this? So if God's love is like that, if someone's experiencing God's love like that, for most of us, if you, as you said, hmm, this is strange, uncommon, what would this mean? And so from your conjecture, it would mean something a little worrying, something you might want to get a restraining order about. Um, from my perspective, I would just wonder, what does this mean? What is this like? Because I don't see this, you know, I don't see this in the Bible. I don't hear stories about this. My own personal story of interacting with God and literally being loved by God isn't like this. So this, you know, in other words, um, hurricanes and tidal waves are massive uh, phenomena that are, that are so clear and unmistakable. They uh, completely transfix our our. Uh, perception and our awareness, they, they grip us. And, you know, as I was thinking about this and trying to relate it to my own experience, I thought, yeah, there is something transfixing about God's love. There is something gripping, right? But I would, f- I would frame it very differently. It's almost like, uh, for me, I would say that it's almost as though I have myself and my 
self-understanding has become like a resonance chamber, like of a viola or a, a cello. And, and, and a note has been struck that still resonates in me. So when I think back to some of these, these, these really um, crucial and formative experiences that I had, they're years ago. Some of these things are 20 years ago now, but they still resonate in me. But for me to be able to convey that to somebody, you know, the other thing too about a hurricane or some of these major atmospheric phenomena, you don't have to do much to help people see them. When they're there, they're unmistakable. Everybody sees them. Everybody gets it. Everybody is moved in the same way. Nobody stands impartial, right? In the case of these phenomena, it's, oh my God, we have to get out of here, right? Everyone sees themselves as threatened. And I don't think this is the idea that the person's putting across, but I think part of the idea is this notion that there's something unmistakable. There's something that you must yield to. There's something that is far greater than you and that you can recognize. And I don't think these things are true. Well, these are incredibly destructive. I mean, you mentioned tidal wave. Mm. The first the first line of the chorus says, like a tidal wave crashing over me, mm-hmm. rushing in to meet me here, your love is fierce. Well, the the rushing in to meet me here, I kind of get that, like, the the message or the takeaway there seems to be it's really, really fast. And mm-hmm. God's love reaching you quickly, that seems like a good thing. But if a tidal wave crashed over you, I think you're dead. Like, yeah. you're destroyed. <laughs> That's it, yeah. So, yeah, there's... So, but, so to maybe take us off track, but back to my original question. Mm. As I was reading and grappling with this, though, I kept wondering, you know... When do we stray into the territory of just let people have their music? Just let, you know, if, if, I mean, if we were to take apart a U2 song, I mean, I, I know I'm a big fan of U2 and I think you are too. Mm. You could be equally critical, I think, of some of those songs to say, well, what was Bono thinking when he wrote this line? This line doesn't make any sense. And so there's a certain artistic, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's a, there's a certain artistic license when it comes to music. And so, John and Greg, why can't you just let Jesus, whatever their name is, the Jesus, <laughs> I'm going to say Jesus people, uh, Jesus uh, culture. Let Jesus culture just have their music, leave them alone. <laughs> they wrote this song, it's moving, it's emotional. No. You know, just leave them alone. I mean, why are no. you guys so critical and so picky over a few words about hurricanes and tidal waves? No, 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 no. <laughs> because uh, you too, it's, it's the claims within the music. It's the claims that the music is directing us to. You too isn't saying, hello, I've got a handle on ultimate reality. You need to listen to this and change your life accordingly. I think you two at best is making a plea. And I think that music, when it's trying to do something, is trying to persuade us by making a plea. I think that, that religious songs, so I wouldn't put just Christian music in this category. I would put any, any religious song, but though I, I, I don't know of, um, I could imagine there could be, um, in the other monotheistic religions, Judaism and Islam, I could imagine songs like this in Buddhism and, you know, in Hindu culture, Jainism, 
no, I don't think these things exist because uh, I don't think that the, the, the thrust is the same. But I would think any type of music like this that is making radical and um, overarching claims about what is real, they're not just making a plea. They're not just offering information. They're not just offering a critique. You know, if you think of some political music, I remember Midnight Oil, uh, an Australian band back in the 80s, and everything they did was political. You know, and you might disagree with that. Okay, no, I don't agree with that stance. I don't agree with how you're portraying this. I think this is incorrect. That, and, that, and that's fine, right? Or not. It's a matter of, of discussion. But, but this is not a matter of discussion, nor is it someone making a plea for something. It's someone telling me about how reality is. And there's the implication that I must either submit, conform, agree, or I'm on the outside, I'm not part of this group that understands things this way. Well, thank you very much. I am part of this group. And you know what? No, I don't understand things this way. No, I, I don't think that what they've said is true. And so I would be happy to leave them to their music and their lyrics if they would be happy to provide me with some substantiation about how this exists in real life. You know, so in other words, if you're going to make grand claims about grand reality, then back it up with some substance. And, and realize that. I think, I think there's just such a lack of realization, such a lack of awareness that, oh my gosh, I'm saying things that a lot of Christians wouldn't buy into. What gives me the right to think that they should take me seriously? Well, part of that would be, and here's where I would go, part of that would be, I'm going to write a little, I don't know, give me two, three paragraphs about your song. Include it along. A, because you recognize you're making claims that a lot of us would find dubious. And B, because you think these claims really are important. So there's two things here. If you think, first of all, be in touch. Be connected. Be in touch with the real world. Be in touch with what other Christians may think and may respond to, how they may respond to your lyrics. And number two, care enough about what you're saying. To want it not only to be a song, but to be something that's with a catchy tune that's going to stick in somebody's head. But be committed to the content and the meaning of your lyrics so that you take the time to explain. Uh, you know, here's where this is coming from. Because I still remember, we've talked about this many, many times. You know, four or five times on the podcast now about this uh, being at Libri uh, just towards the end of the summer of 2014. A year and a half ago, or two years ago now almost. And this woman in her 60s coming and she arrived at just, just the right time where she didn't have any interaction with the, the staff there, with the workers. And she um, began promoting a view that she has, I don't know, I guess uh, incorporated, uh, centered a ministry around. And the longer she spoke and the more she described, the more uneasy I became. And you know, ultimately, as we got to the end of that conversation, her view was based on an experience that I think she had um, not, that she had misinterpreted in a fairly significant way. And out of that misinterpretation, what she's thinking is, you know, God told me this, God showed me this was, oh, okay, then I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to take my ministry in this direction. I'm going to center it on this understanding based out of this, how I've interpreted this experience when in reality, as I tried to point out to her, I think you're making a choice that's going to take you blatantly away from some of the things that the biblical text are claiming to be true. That's putting you in a tough position as a Christian. And I think 
in a, in a similar fashion with lyrics or anything like this, if someone is going to be saying something that on the one hand they believe deeply, and the other hand there's a question that others who believe in the, generally the same way, who are Christians, may find to be difficult, problematic, incomprehensible, man, take the steps because you care enough. You care enough about them and you care enough about this thing that for you is really deeply real and, and um, necessary to communicate. So that's what I say. There's a huge difference between this and you two, a huge difference. Okay. You know, and I think, I think to, to kind of go in the direction that, that I found interesting about this, I was, I was really glad that the listener raised this. And I think what it struck for me is this whole thing about personal experience. So in other words, underneath this song, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping here, right? I'm hoping that this isn't somebody thinking, sort of sitting there thinking, gee, I wonder... <laughs> I've got an example of what I'm talking about, but it's a really bad example and I'm trying not to use it. But it seems to be, um, I hope it's not, in other words, someone saying, I wonder what God's love could be like. How could we do this? How, what, what could we say about God's love? I, I hope it's somebody who's saying, you know, this is somewhat of my experience and this experience merges with the picture I see in the biblical text. And, and this is, so it's an artistic rendering is what I'm hoping. Yeah, I, I, read, I read and hear something like this as, Half ex- half experiential, half aspirational, or maybe aspirational is not the right word. Um, I like that. I like that aspirational piece. Like I, I, I like the way you're describing it because it sounds accurate to me. What you said sounds pretty good. No, I guess I was trying to envision like when someone would write a song like this. What would what would be their frame of mind? What would inspire a song like this? that they felt this way that they've that they understand God to be this way and they want to experience more of it I don't, I don't know I've never seen the song no and I, I'm hoping it's the two of those t- things together there's there's some experience and there's some understanding now I, I personally I question the understanding I, I don't think we see God coming across in this way in the biblical text there's a lot of subtlety there's a lot of you know when you see Jesus interacting it's very rarely with a sledgehammer, you know? I mean, I'm sure he could be, he could be a lot, he's, he's really powerfully uh, polemical, argumentative in a specific direction, in other words, with the religious leaders. I mean, he could just kind of trump them with a, I don't know, something miraculous, something whatever, you know? And then, and then the earth opened and, and all the Pharisees were swallowed up. Oh, okay, well, that would be pretty definitive. <laughs> you know, no more problems, right? You, you, why not? Because that's not how God works. That's not what God's trying to do. That's not the way ultimately that we as readers and as the people at the time as hearers would come to enter into right relationship with God because there's a crucial component, which is understanding, that needs to be cultivated, right? It's not just a matter of here, this is the truth, but a whole mindset and a skill set that allows you to recognize truth. Uh, an orientation allows you to seek truth. Um, you know, training and and and, and focus uh, that allows you to find truth. And then there's a, applying that. You know, um, so that whole truth piece is really, really important. But yeah, I guess what I'm hoping is going on is that there's some experience, some personal experience behind this. But I think what's happening often in the church is that this whole notion of personal experience is either 
extremely inconsistently applied or it's it's ignored and this this is this goes from bad to worse you know so when it's inconsistent if my experience we've talked about this before there's there's praise music going on i'm a christian i'm in church i'm feeling good this must be the holy spirit mm, maybe uh, actually maybe uh, something you need to figure out this week is that you've been a real butthead or you know you've had a whole You've got a whole orientation towards one side of your life that's been just piling up problems for you and others, but you're not seeing that. Instead, you're feeling good and thinking it's the Holy Spirit. You're getting the, you're, you're mixing up your emotional situation at the time for a message with a message from God. You know, we should be very careful about that. And then, of course, if somebody else were sitting in that same church service and feeling like, oh, this is a bit of a hoax, uh, this music is. Uh, uh, manipulative, uh, the reasoning given for uh, claiming that such and such are acts of God is flimsy and, and they feel uh, their experience is that, you know, this is, this is all a sham. Well, no, you're just, uh, you're sinful, you're, uh, you're close to the spirit, you're whatever, right? And so by, by ignoring, by focusing on certain sorts of experiences that we as Christians think should be the right ones, with the right, you know, environment and timing and all these other things. And by denigrating and, 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 and um, you know, devaluing other experiences, particularly experiences that people who are not Christians might have of the same things that we as Christians experience positively. Well, that's, that's just clear. How can you argue with that? <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's the, that's the whole inconsistency part. Yeah, and so, no, what, I guess what I would raise here is, my experience, my experience uh, <laughs> of this, though, is that you, what am I trying to say here? My experience was that you couldn't completely trust your experience because <laughs> the thought is that, you know, all humans are affected by the, quote, the fall and by sin. And so, you know our ability to read and understand our own experience can be kind of sketchy. Mm -hmm. So how do you, what would you say to someone here in terms of interpreting their experience or knowing that they're understanding their experience correctly? Sure. Well, I mean, I think that's an important point. In other words, that, you know, and I think interpreting the experience is a good place to start because experiences are always interpreted, right? I am always already interpreting my experiences. There, there's nothing raw or uninterpreted. But I would say that, um, can you say that, that part again? That whole question again. Oh, let me add on to it. Maybe this will okay. help. Okay. So there's one other aspect to this, and this recently came up, which is, so I'm doing this coaching certification under the coactive coaching model with organization called CTI. And one of the tenets of this model is that they hold that the client or the coachee, the person that is being coached, is creative, resourceful, and whole. In other words, they're not broken. And mm -hmm. so if they're not broken, then it's not my job as the coach to fix them, help fix them, or, you know, 
put them back together or help put them back together again. My orientation towards them, which changes, I think, in some ways, my experience of them, mm-hmm. is that they are already fully capable and ready to do whatever is next for them. And the process of working together with them is to figure out what that next thing is and, mm-hmm. you know, where they might want to go and what they might want to do. Mm-hmm. So I was sharing, I guess the, the other tie in here too, is I was sharing this idea with someone that's a Christian. And as, I, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is immediately going to be a problem for them because the idea of being whole, it, most Christians I would interact with would, would hold a position that we are not whole. We are broken. And, you know, that that's one of the reasons that you need God. Yeah. So now have, I don't know if some, does this tie in or have I completely taken us off track into a completely different topic? No, I think this totally ties in. I, th- I think this is great. Um, so, I mean, you t- talked originally about this whole idea of you not being able to trust your experience, you know, and so c- can we really go with that? And I, I would still say, well, you know, oddly enough, on the one hand, I see Christians trusting certain types of experiences in certain contexts a lot. Those experiences are definitive. And my thought is maybe, maybe not. And this whole idea of, of segregating certain contexts, if it's in a church situation, if, if I feel convicted or uplifted or whatever, those are good. Those are valuable. Those are true. I can, I can trust them. And I think maybe, and again, maybe not. But I think the thing we need to keep in mind is if we think – and I, th- I think, in other words, if the Christian conception is that sin or fallenness or brokenness or what have you affects our ability to understand ourselves, sin is also an epistemological category. It affects what and how we know, not just our ability to feel or what, whether our emotional kind of responses are, are accurate or inaccurate. Uh, helpful or misleading. There's also the whole reality that knowledge and the knowing, our no ability to know, is likewise affected. Now, but in terms of this whole thing, I think this wholeness, creativeness, and resourcefulness is accurate. I think that's great. I don't think that's the full picture. I think there's more to be added on. But when Christians respond saying, oh, no, no, we're not whole, we're broken, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you were broken, and if you were that broken, how would you make it through life? Is somebody caretaking for you all the way through your adult life? And are they then not broken? Like, how have you survived? In other words, of course you're whole enough. You're creative enough. You're resourceful enough. And of course, the enough varies from person to person. And we see that as people living better lives. Of course, we also see people wearing masks. We see people fooling themselves and others, right? But, 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 I mean, there are some situations where it's very, very clear. You know, some people have a family, they have a home, they have relationships, they have, uh, you know, activities that they participate in. Other people are on the street. They're addicted to any form of substance. You know, some of those people who have families and homes are also addicted to substances. But in other words, there are different ways in which and degrees to which we are able to move towards wholeness or thriving in our lives, right? And so I think this idea that um, we're fallen and therefore we're not whole is ridiculous. I think the idea likewise that we are whole and complete in ourselves, that we are fully 
as we should be, is ridiculous. <laughs> These are both ridiculous notions. So let's disperse, you know, so I can, I can think in your model, in the coaching model, can I think of someone as whole, creative, and resourceful? Absolutely. Do I see examples of that in their lives? Probably for most people, yes. Yeah, and I've, yeah, in my own, I, you know, I'd be interesting to talk to an instructor about this one of the next classes. I think the way that I look at it myself is, it, it's a little bit of a wink, wink. It's like, yes, I know that I am not whole. I, just, I this, if someone would say, John, are you completely whole? I would say, no, no, not for mm-hmm. a second. Mm-hmm. But what I guess what what strikes me though is holding that orientation though towards the person that I'm coaching changes mm-hmm. the way that I see them as a person, changes the mm-hmm. way that I changes my motivations for what I'm there to do as a coach. Yeah. And so that part is, is useful. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. Full on just say, well, yeah, everyone is whole. Well, we all have stuff we're working on and nobody's perfect. So yeah. Yeah. And then we need to keep, keep, I mean, this is back in episode 125, our discussions about episode 125, I think about the, that essay that um, was posted through, through Ravi Zacharias Ministries and this whole idea that we need to keep as related but distinct the forensic from the practical. In other words, there's this idea of wholeness that means, can you be right with God? No. The Christian response is, no, right relationship with God requires mediation. It requires steps involved that I did not take and you did not take to which we need to be responsive. That's a, that's a reality of, of the Christian faith. The, the other way of stating that on your, you know, in very simple terms is you can't do it on your own. You can't go it alone. Can we go it alone with God? No. But that's on a forensic legal level. In terms of day-to-day, when we're talking about wholeness, I don't think, you see, we're confusing two different concepts here when Christians would say, oh, no, I can't buy into that. You know, or, or, or we're taking a concept of the totality. Are we totally whole versus, you know, are we whole enough? Do we act in our day-to-day lives with aspects or, uh, you know, as a, portraying or depicting or showing wholeness? Yeah, we do. So I think that part's really important. The, the other part, though, about this whole idea of um, not being able to trust our experiences is that, you know, if you're, if you're working with your experience, then there is a potential conflict, you know, two people might have. In other words, they're, they're at the same event, the same thing happens, ostensibly, they both ostensibly see it, and they come away with different stories. So they have a different experience or a different interpretation of that experience from one another. You know, and there's also the whole piece about intuition. My experience and my intuition are linked. And some might say, no, that's a bad thing. And I would say, yeah, it could be difficult, right? Because in the same way that we, I would say we have conflicts of interpretation, you get five people in a Bible study, sitting around talking about a couple of verses and lo and behold, they all five say some different things about those verses. Some of them might be contradictory. And most Christians would feel fairly uncomfortable about uh, the idea that two or three people could say contradictory things about a particular text and all three or two or three of those things are correct. That doesn't quite work out. 
But the same thing happens with our intuition, right? We might find that we have a very conflicting intuition based on our experience of what we should do or how we should read this or what this means. And I think that whole piece about cultivating the ability to read ourselves well, to read circumstances well, to read texts well, is really, is really crucial. And so that's part of where I was going with the whole piece, the focus on personal um, experience as the basis for some of these lyrics. So if a song lyric is coming out of my experience, I really want to make sure that I've paid attention to that experience and that I've particularly cultivated the skills necessary to be able to read experiences like that well. And I think the other thing that I would say, which I didn't mention in the post that I put up, but is where I would go next, is that there's a, there's a difference between common experiences, you know, talking with people, interacting, um, um, living my life, uh, overcoming problems, you know, confronting issues, etc. And then uncommon experiences. And I would certainly categorize any sort of experience in any way, you know, indirectly or potentially directly with God as being very uncommon. But I think if I'm not good at dealing with common experiences, I will never be good. I will never have the skills required to be able to deal well with uncommon experiences. And yet this whole piece, you know, the whole, what, what you just said to me about you can't trust experience. Well, if you can't trust experience, what are you going to do? You're not going to spend much time with it. You're not going to be preparing yourself to deal with experience or understand it because it's not valuable. In fact, it's misleading. But then we have these uncommon experiences, these experiences of God, and we expect as people who are completely unpracticed, in fact, those who are mostly suspicious of experiences, normal experiences, to somehow be tuned into and be able to figure out uncommon experiences as though the Holy Spirit just kind of takes over, does everything for us. We've all got it. We've figured it out. But lo and behold, we can all sit there through the same sort of circumstances and we can experience them differently. We can interpret them differently. You know, but as you're saying that, I'm wondering, though, if I'm conflating experience with emotion. Okay. Or I wonder if we're lumping those together. Maybe you aren't, but I I just realized that I think maybe I was. That, that when I think experience, emotion, I kind of tend to lump those together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like there's a subtle difference there. Well, I think I've got I, – I, I did some work – so part of what I finished off with when I was at Labrie in 2014 was just this whole piece about everyday experience versus exceptional experience, common versus uncommon. So I'll read you my definition of experience. Um, and I think I see, what, I see where you're getting at. And I think it's valid, right? Because I think the whole the, the experience is never solely intellectual. There's always an emotional component. Though I think the two are different. Well, yeah, no, because I was as you were as you were going talking there, I realized. Well, wait a minute. Do I really believe that people aren't confident of their experiences because they're sinful? Or if they're Christian, coming from a Christian context, what, they're not confident of their experience because they're sinful. No, they wouldn't say that. It would be more. I don't know. I guess what's tricky about this is. And maybe this is what you've been saying all along, and I just got it more. It's this idea that that it's it's obvious when it's obvious, and it's not obvious when it's not obvious. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, you can you. In other words, that that people automatically know when to trust and when not to, but yet, what is that ability based on, and is it based on the right things? Yeah. 
I think that's great. And I think, I think it's just based on, on um, it's a sociological phenomenon. If you're in church, if you can, you know, it's what the group will accept. It's really, it's <laughs> reader response. Uh, so a fellow named Stanley Fish wrote a book in the late 70s, I think, called Is There a Text in This Class? And he basically said that the way we, our response to a text or – and we can extend this to a situation. So I'm extending this now to a situation. But his comment was solely about texts. The response to a text is not responding to the meaning. The response is the meaning. So in certain accepted situations and contexts, if I have a certain response, so in a church when music's going and it's upbeat praise music and I've been feeling down, if I have an upbeat response, if I, have an up, if I feel uplifted, then that response is to the Holy Spirit trying to help me out and to God communicating love or acceptance or something of that nature to me. And so the notion that the reader's response is the meaning is on a communal level, we've come to accept some of these things as norms. So it's not any old meaning. There are certain rules and kind of rough structures that surround this. But within those structures, no one's going to question you. That's just fascinating. And they're very well understood, but nobody's ever sat down to define them or write them down. Exactly. You just kind of know. Exactly. Okay, I'm getting it. Okay. Yeah, okay. and I think that's hugely problematic. Okay, I just wanted to be careful for myself that I wasn't painting with too broad of a brush. So that's, okay. No, and I, I think that's good. Let me, let me read this and see if this is, I'll, I'll see if this is clear enough. But so I count as experience those events and or states of affairs that I recognize and realize as such and regarding which I have responses. And in this context, I take the responses to involve feelings or emotions. I take responses that involve feelings or emotions to be at least as valuable as responses that do not. So when I have an experience, I guess sometimes something will happen and I will just think something. I'll think, oh, that's interesting. or Oh, that's new. Or I've never seen a bird like that. I wonder what that is. You know, and I don't have much of an emotional response, but some of the experiences I have are very emotional. There's a lot of emotion that's involved, and I take that seriously without necessarily seeing what that emotion means right off. So in other words, it's, it's events or state of, aver- a state of affairs that I recognize, so I'm conscious of them, right? I can't have an experience of something behind my back. An accident happened. I know that. Why? Well, I heard it. But if I didn't hear it, if it happened four blocks away, would it be one of my experiences? No. I, I didn't have the sense perception of any of my senses telling me that something happened. So it's outside of my realm of experience. And then of the things that I can perceive with my senses, I take those that involve feelings or emotions to be at least as valuable as those that don't. Sometimes they're more, inval- more valuable. And then, it's, of course, it's this tricky question of trying to figure out, well, what, what is the emotional, what's the emotional content mean? What is its value? What should I do with it? I'm guessing I haven't been quite as helpful as you hoped I would be. No, I think I need to think about it more, and I'm, 
I also confess I'm up against a deadline here. <laughs> no worries. And I need to wrap soon. Um, yeah, and I guess to tie back into the blog post you wrote on this, I think where you were leading, and maybe it, it rounds some of this out, in terms of why this matters, I think you're arguing the point here, and I would agree, which is Christians lose credibility mm. when Christians lose credibility to non-Christians when this is when this stuff doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think that's a, the two sides of that whole response to personal experience. On the one hand, it's inconsistent. On the other hand, like we treat it inconsistently. On the other hand, we just ignore it. And when we ignore it, we end up making some crazy claims that somehow in-house we let ourselves get away with. You know, Richard Rorty had this great phrase, truth is what your colleagues let you get away with. And there's so much of this in the church, so much of this. Truth is what goes unquestioned when people say it and say God had something to do with it. Throw the word God in there, make it all happen in the right context, and all of a sudden it's true. Well, Mm. that's really doubtful. And the only reason it, it flies probably is because on the one hand, everybody's been trained and conditioned not to question it. And on the other hand, everybody feels more secure when they've got things to point to to say, ah, that was God. I feel better. I feel more secure. That's good. Right? They need it. And they're trained not to question it. But if you're not a Christian, you don't need it. And you, you are trained to question it. And all of a sudden, it looks like bunk. So this is just so so defeating, I think, for, for Christianity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.